my mic on? Yeah, I think so. Sweet. Um, <laughs> hey, Julie Rose. <laughs> Man, that makes my day. Um, go ahead and turn to Second Timothy. Um, we'll be in there today. Uh, it's as always a joy to follow up the worship team and the choir. Uh, it brings put a smile on my face just seeing them lead us. Uh, we'll go ahead and read the passage from God's Word. If you don't have the Bible, it's all right. We got it on the screen for you. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men, who will be able to teach others also, share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy for... If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he, will also, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For, we cannot deny, for he cannot deny himself. Let us pray. Father, use this passage in your word to mold us to inspire us, to cause us to act, not just listen, but be doers of the word. We can rest in your grace, but let us remember that grace should inspire us to go. Let's be molded by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so yesterday, um, well, actually, a few weeks ago, you may, you may get mad at me, you may not. I don't care. Um, we put up our Christmas tree. And some of you may be, no, you can't wait till Thanksgiving. I'm going to tell you, I have a busy schedule during December. I want to enjoy my decorations. <laughs> so um, we put it up, and we found out some of the lights on our pre-lit tree were not lighting, which is a problem when you want lights. So we called my parents, and they're like, hey, we have a Christmas tree. We'll give it to you. They're like, sweet, we'll pay for it. I'm like, no, we'll give it to you. And then they said, we also have some lights out on it too. We're like, oh, we'll still take it. And uh, so we, we took our old tree, put it outside, put the new tree inside. We bought some more lights from Walmart and uh, put, decor put the lights on them. It looks great. And yesterday, we put ornaments on the tree. Now, I'm always a little leery of putting ornaments on the tree, not because I don't know how to put ornaments on the tree, it's because... In my family tradition, I should say tradition, when we put ornaments on the tree, a fight always ensued. It was something about, something usually would say something at the wrong time, so I'd get mad about the way they're putting the ornaments, and 
just never ended well. But we have a really good tradition that goes along with that. Uh, we, we would always play the Statler Brothers Christmas albums. Um, do you know what the Statler Brothers are? Um, it's a, it's a, I think it's a quartet. I'm not sure. But go, Southern Gospel Singing. And uh, my, my, grand, my parents grew up in the middle of nowhere, Virginia, North Carolina area, tobacco farms, and that was the thing to do. So uh, we listened to that. So we have it on iTunes, playing on our, on our iTunes, uh, wherever it's playing. I think it was the TV. But we're playing. And Julia Rose, this is her first time putting ornaments on the tree. And let me tell you something. She has no idea what she's doing. Um, <laughs> but she does have a talent because... She was able to put like 20 ornaments on one branch. <laughs> but uh, I, uh, I, I wanted, and so I was like, I got to teach her. I got, and I, wanted to lo- I almost lost my patience. I know I, I got to endure this to teach her how to do it. So eventually I'd show her you got to get, you got, the way we did it, we, we keep the boxes. We, my parents, my family gave us Hallmark ornaments every year. So they're somewhat nice. Uh, so I'm like, okay, Julia, as you take the ornament out of the box, take the plastic out of the box, put the plastic back in the box, then get a, ho- a hook and put on the ornament and then hang it on the tree. You have to do it in that order or else we'll, it'll just ruin everything. And she started to catch on. And I had to be patient. I had to be dirt, endure. Um, but what I want us to take away from this message is that we need to endure in the grace of God to preserve and pass on the gospel. Like, I, preserve, I endured this Christmas tradition and uh, preserved the tradition and passed on the tradition to Julia Rose. We need to endure in grace, the grace of God, to preserve and pass on the gospel. That's for everyone. Now, verse 1, it says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul is writing this to Timothy. In fact, 2 Timothy is the last letter we have from Paul. Pretty soon he will, he will be martyred for his faith. And this is the last thing he writes to Timothy is this letter. So this is really, big, really important because usually I, I'm not dying that I know of, but usually in what I have heard is that when people die, they want to say their last, the most important thing to those they love. And Paul loves Timothy. But Understand this, we should live in the gospel and be strengthened by grace. Now, Timothy, he is a believer. If you are a person that has knowledge that Jesus is Lord and Savior, you are right with Timothy. And you are in union with Christ, which also means you already have had this grace. You have been given grace Grace can never be depleted. Apostle James, the half-brother of Jesus, says in his, in his letter, says, but he gives more grace. More grace was always there for Timothy. There's more grace for us. Like a poised pitcher ready at the slightest nudge to pour grace upon him. The same grace power to God's work that Paul, that, that, uh, the work that Paul had was Timothy's. Keep being strengthened by grace. How are we to keep going in our faith? By constantly calling to mind that he had this grace. 
He has our grace. He has given us grace. Grace upon grace. Grace is a scary word if you think about it. Because a lot of people want to say the way you get to God is you get yourself fixed up and do all the right rules. That's the way you get to God. And then there's others who are saying you can't be, you can't just follow all the rules. God has given us free will. There's, there's a combination in there. Grace calls us to become more righteous, but you don't become righteous than come to God. God comes to you first. And his grace that strengthens us is sufficient for all. If he calls you to go, you can go because of his grace. Whenever you need some help, remember that grace. Call upon that grace. Now, one of the things I've recently uh, started to really like in my life, in fact, it might be in an addiction, is coffee. And now, when I go to coffee stores, I'll get some, I don't know if they're girly or fruity, but I get white chocolate mocha because I don't know how to make that at the house. But when, I, when I'm at, at home, like this morning, woke up at 5 o'clock, what am I going to do? I'm going to my Keurig and putting in my breakfast uh, brew and give me a K-cup of coffee. It gives me energy. Hey, where do I get this energy? Coffee. When I was younger, Mountain Dew. When I was younger than that, sugar. It gives us the energy we don't have. But here's the problem with all those things. They run out. Grace never runs out. Be strengthened by grace. Then look at verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now Timothy have been taught by many the gospel of Christ. He'd been delegated the gospel as, as a trust to guard. He was to preserve it, to guard it. And by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted you. Paul tells them that in the first chapter of 2 Timothy. But how did Timothy get this gospel? So he had... He didn't have the best upbringing. We don't know who his father was. But he had his grandmother and his mother. He also had Barnabas. Well, he also had Paul, but Paul took him under his wing. And brought him, he brought, Paul brought Timothy on his missionary journeys. And Timothy now, at this point, is a pastor of a church. And he's probably like 18 or 20. Now, I'd be honest, I could never pastor a church if I was 18. And let's be honest with ourselves, we probably wouldn't listen to an 18-year-old. But Paul is telling him to lead men. And not only preserve the gospel, pass on the gospel. He's not saying just preach the gospel. He's saying pass it on. 
let's, let's see what Paul did here. He, he was able to preach to the crowds, which Jesus preached to the crowds. And then Paul was able to also preach to a smaller group, which Jesus did with the 12 disciples. And then Paul brings not only Timothy, but also Titus. He's mentoring two men right there. Jesus did the same thing. He discipled three men of those 12 disciples. He really mentored three, Peter, James, and John. One thing I've noticed is uh, since COVID hit, um, there's been, you may not realize this, but there's, you may have, I don't know. Um, but there's been a big push from, from uh, people in ministry to get everything on, uh, on, on, on social media and YouTube. So you've got to build that platform so the, mo- so the world can see you, so the world can hear the gospel. You build that platform, make it perfect, make everything right, then God will honor it. I... I understand the importance of social media and YouTube and other things like that. But if that was true, how did Jesus do it without the Internet? I think we put too much emphasis on preaching to the crowd and having the best sermon possible. Because if that was the truth and had the best sermon, I believe Jesus probably would have failed by our numbers the way we measure it. Now, I don't want to say Jesus failed in preaching because he was the greatest preacher ever, greatest preacher to ever walk the earth. But less than half of the people became disciples of him. There's the other thing that I noticed, that I was able to have free time to talk to others to keep them accountable in the word and disciple them. Right now, I'm mentoring, discipling a 59-year-old in our church. I'm discipling another student pastor in, the, in Conway. I'm discipling two students of, our, of ours in this church. I've seen more growth in that than I've seen ever just hearing a sermon. I'm not saying sermons are not important. I'm saying there's other things that are just as equally important. Think of it as uh, golf. We originally watched the Masters for the first time in the fall. Dustin Johnson, local Conway boy, won it all. Amen on that one, right? Okay. Think of it as this. So there's these things. They're called drivers. That's a club. The driver hits the ball the farthest. That would be like the pulpit ministry. Preaching is important, but it's not the all-end-all be-all. And then we got these things called irons. Now, I am not good at golf. In fact, when I drive, my golf swing, my ball usually goes like this and then curves to the right. That's not a good thing, in case you didn't know. So I aim my ball to the left, so it ends up going straight down the middle. So, like, if you're sitting over here, I'm not trying to hit you. It's going to go that way, I promise. That's what I do with my driver. And then there's these things called irons. I hope I'm saying that. And it's, it's, it's a wedge type of thing. It's supposed to get the ball off the grass because when you have a driver, you have the ball teed up. So it's a little easier to get in the air. With the irons, is you have to control it. And it gets you onto the green. Here's the thing. 
when you play golf, you don't always use a driver. There's, there's par fives, which means you should get the ball in the hole in five shots. If you're good, you do it less than five. I don't do that. And then there's some holes you hit, you don't use a driver because it'd go too far, so you use an iron. But every club is not used in every, every hole except for one. One club, and that's the putter. So the iron would be like Jesus talking to the disciples. That's what we like Sunday school for us. A smaller group, not the whole congregation. Now, I know we're kind of limited in what we're doing here, but we're eventually, we'll go back to Sunday school. So we'll be in those smaller groups. But my challenge to you, especially you Sunday school workers, and especially you men. Let me, I want to be honest with you real quick. Men. I see you celebrate sports more than anything. I see you more proud of your daughters and your sons when they hit a home run or have a great game. I don't see you proud of them taking your, your sons and daughters being proud and spending time in God's word. You cultivate what you celebrate. You want to celebrate sports? Great. Tell me, when, tell me how you want to celebrate when your kid's 40. Because I can play basketball for about two hours, and after that, I got to ice up my ankles. I got to ice up my legs. That's why golf was invented, so old people could play. And by old, I mean 25 and up. <laughs> or maybe you celebrate fishing. Nothing wrong with fishing. Maybe you're hunting, whatever. These hobbies. What are you going to do? What is your... Your, your next generation, what do you teach them to do once they're unable to move as much? I was talking to a friend of mine this weekend, or this past week. He came down for the beach for vacation, and he was a pretty good basketball player. His wife was a pretty good basketball player, it turns out. And she's a nurse practitioner. And we're talking about the gospel. And, uh, she's, and she's having to deal with a lot of depression in, uh, in her patients. She asked one person, hey, what, what's your, uh, I forgot what she said, it was, but basically, what's your faith background? Not, hey, where do you go to church? Because not everybody goes to church now. But what's your faith background? And they said, my faith background is the soccer gods. The, the person was dealing with depression because they didn't know what to do because they couldn't do soccer anymore. And my friend's wife said, well, how's that going for you? Listen here, men and women. I see what happens when you don't put the gospel first. You know how I know? Because I see a lack of adults teaching our students. See, we need the putter. If you want to win a golf game, you got to be able to putt. That's mentoring. That's one-on-one, one-on-two, one-on-three. Who are you pouring into right now where you're actually keeping account? Not just show up on Sunday mornings, say, hey, we're going to go over this lesson, then we'll peace out. 
if we treated the gospel like we, actually, unfortunately, that's how we've been treating the gospel the last few years, last few decades. I learned more about mentoring from my former employee, Chick-fil-A, than I did here. Not just, not, I'm not saying North Conway, I mean the church. Because I learned that when I had to go travel and teach the gospel of making the Chick-fil-A sandwich, that I had to be in there with them. I had to be with these new people and show them how to make, how to properly fillet it, how to properly milk wash, how to properly put in the machine. And when the times got tough, I came in there, I came in there and helped them. When, it was, when the screens are red, when that's red, that means you, you, it's been five minutes that people are waiting for uh, their food. And when people wait for more than five minutes for their food, that's when they get angry. And, pe- and then also when, when the, front, the up front people are getting yelled at, they start yelling at the kitchen. And that's when things get serious. So you walk, I go in there and I help them. This is how you do it while talking to them, showing them how to do it. I do that for two weeks. And then by the third week, they're able to do it by themselves. That's mentoring, my friend. But with the gospel, it takes more than just two weeks. But I think the problem that many churches, for some reason, have never done mentoring and discipling one-on-one is because it requires time. It requires vulnerability, and it requires trust. And you might be thinking, "What? how is this going to do it? I'm telling you right now, with the four men that I am talking to, I see them being changed every time I meet with them. And I got room for two more. Man, I'm calling you right now. If you've never been mentored or discipled, let me know. I want to do it. But here's the thing. I've told these four men that when we're done being in our mentorship, you've got to find two others to disciple. Sunday school teachers, I, I encourage you to do this. If you don't know how to do it, come to me. I'm willing to do it. Because think about it. If I do, these four men, they find two more for each of them. My four has now become, let's see, four plus one, become 16. I think that's right. And then it, and once, those two, once those men that I discipled, and granted, I'm going to find two more, three more, maybe four more. Once those men find two more, and the men that they've taught two more, it's growing exponentially. You know, it's kind of how we want our bank accounts to grow. But you might be thinking, how, how, will this really work? Well, there's a man named William Wilberforce. He thought about going into ministry. And I probably told this story before. Um, I like William Wilberforce even more because I found out he was a short guy. And he thought about going into ministry. And he was having a conversation with his pastor, his pastor was named John Newton. And he would have conversations, conversations, John Newton's mentoring him. And John Newton said, Don't go into ministry, use the gift of your speaking ability and, and where you are now for the gospel. When Wilberforce was in Parliament, later on, because of the gospel, changed him so much, and he kept bringing the gospel to Parliament, he ended slavery in the UK. And eventually that led to the end of slavery in America. 
So let's, let's be like, just do the gospel like our driver, our iron, and our putter. So in verse 3 through 7, he gives us some, uh, some visuals. And I like visuals. But I like verse 3. It says, share in the suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now, recently I went to a neighborhood meeting for my neighborhood. And let me tell you, that was fun. Um, so they, they sent out a budget. And it was going to increase our POA by like double. And I was like, whoa, I don't want to spend this money. And I was like, I'm going to go to this meeting. And luckily they sent out this message like two weeks. So I was able to calm down, not be a hothead. Others did not get that ability to calm down and not be a hothead. So I went in there. And I asked my question. I was like, hey, is it possible to do this? I was like, okay, that was good. Well, that was good. And after that, it was just, I don't know. People were yelling at the board members. Like, there was, like, they weren't even people. And someone, one of my neighbors leaned over and was like, this is ridiculous. Our board members are volunteer. And I'm like, you're telling me they're not even getting paid to get yelled at? <laughs> they endured suffering voluntarily, just as our Lord did for us. So endure for the gospel. Now he gives us three things. He talks about the uh, dedicated soldier. Now he's past, um, Paul has used the soldier reference before. Uh, I'm talking about um, fight on and such. But this isn't the case on that actually. He's talking about not being distracted by civilian life. And only wanting to please his commanding officer. Our commanding officer is Christ. Let's not be worried about civilian affairs, things that can distract us or keep it, or make us go down an easier path. I was talking to another friend on the phone, and she was saying that, hey, I'm glad that we can only do limited Thanksgiving because her, her, their, her family had to cancel the Thanksgiving gathering because she said, because um, they're, they're going to be so excited about who won the, the election that they're just going to rub it in my face. And, I was, and I'm thinking... You know, you're, and she's basically saying they're making an idol out of the election. And I'm thinking, you're doing the same thing. Think of how foreign it would be, Paul writing to Timothy about worrying about who is their dictator when we, they know that Jesus is Lord. While going through the students through the, the gospel of Mark, Mark wrote to the Romans, the Roman believers, and it's talking about Caesar is uh, our Jesus is Lord. And we gotta, I, I remind my students who the, what the Roman believers were going through. They were being dragged from their homes, lit on fire, just so the Roman streets could have lights. They didn't get to pick their person. Know why it didn't matter to them? Because Jesus is Lord. Let's remember that. See, when we worry about these things that may scare if we get in civilian life, remember that we are in a battle. That battle is over for lost souls. Let's remember that, my friends. And then it talks about a disciplined athlete. Now, I like being an athlete. I don't like being a disciplined athlete. That takes a lot of work. I, uh, I, was, I was told I'd been a really good wrestler in middle school and high school. I said, nope. Because they run around the school with trash bags on them so they can pour the sweat out of them and lose weight. I was like, nope, not doing that. But what he's talking about in a disciplined athlete is not just about, uh, it, 
It was, it's really more about following the rules. And it's not necessarily the rules of the game. In fact, ancient athletes who participated in the Olympiad first had to com complete a required 10-month training period and then swear an oath that they had done it. Those were the rules. And very likely, this is what, according to the rules, references so Paul says again that there must be a single-minded, wholehearted discipline and governed by God's word. The truth is none of us will get anywhere without this in any of our life. Discipline, training, it's very close to single-mindedness, though not exactly the same. And here's the thing. God is not talking about earning salvation with this and following God's word. What he's, he's talking about our desires, every believer is to be, walk in righteousness according to Scripture. And that's another thing I want you to understand why it's important to mentor. You're accountable not only to God, but it's also put other people uh, in a, uh, around us to be accountable to. See, we're not saved just to be saved. We're saved for more. We are saved to bring others into Christ and help others get closer to Christ and become more like Christ. And then he talks about a hardworking farmer. Now, I am not a farmer, and I'm glad I'm not, because I know what my parents went through. I know one thing. It is not glamorous. It's very hardworking. And the farmer's not trying to make a name for himself. He's trying to get his crops to grow so he can have a plentiful harvest. And ministry, it's not about making a name for ourselves. In fact, I, there's, there was a pastor that recently was fired from his job. He's a celebrity pastor, and I pray for that family. And some of you may know who that pastor is, and I'm not going to go like why he should be a leader, why he shouldn't be. I'm not getting into that. What my fear is, people, and I see it in my kids, I see it in the college students, I see it in others. They want to use this platform. It's fine. It's not about making a name for yourself. It's about proclaiming Jesus, the one name above all other names. And that's what we're here for. We're not looking for recognition. God sees what we do. So trust in him. In verse 7, I like this one. This, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Here's the cool thing about reading the Bible, is that you may not understand it, but in time, God will reveal what he's trying to tell you. Julia Rose doesn't understand why you need a hook on an ornament. Well, one day she'll understand why you need a hook, because ornaments don't stick. All right? Now, verses 8, th 8 through 13. Remember the hero of the gospel. Talks about memor, uh, giving, having, remembering Jesus, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Now, him talking about being an offspring of David is the Old Testament, uh, and he's talking about how Old, Old Testament, the scriptures have been pointing toward Jesus, and that Jesus would be risen from the dead. Now, I remember in school, I was taught the Battle of the Alamo. Anybody ever remember that battle? I mean, not like we were around for it, but anybody ever being taught, remember the Alamo? Basically, the Battle of the Alamo, the Texans were looking for independence from Mexico. And they had this battle at the Alamo. It was one of their forts, and they lost real bad. Like, they got whooped. Like, 
Never mind, I'm not going to bring up football. Um, but <laughs> so they had another battle that the Texans won and eventually led to an independence. And the reason they won that second battle because they said, remember the Alamo, because it inspired them. That's what my textbook said. And I'm thinking, how is that inspiring? They lost. Like, I don't, go to, I don't go to a Clemson football game. Sorry, I'm talking about football. And say, man, I remember that time we got whooped by West Virginia, 70 to 33. Remember that? Great time. No, that was not inspiration. See, Jesus did not lose. He might have died, but he is alive and well, my friends. Remember the resurrection. Remember Jesus, the one who died for our sins. And it talk, in verse 9, it talks about Paul is a criminal. He's in chains, but God's word cannot be bound. He may be in chains, but God's word is still going. We may not be able to preach, gather as much as we can for, un, for unforeseen circumstances, but God's word is still going, my friends. There's a movie called Inception. Uh, and one of the quotes, and it's, basically, it's a crazy movie. I won't get into that. But one of the quotes was an idea, resilient, highly contagious. Once an idea has taken hold of the brain, it's almost impossible to eradicate. Here's the truth, though. Jesus isn't just an idea. Jesus really walked the earth. There's other things besides the Bible that says this. He also was put on a cross. And he also rose from the dead. Over 500 people saw him rise from the dead. And no one's been able to disprove that because there's an empty tomb and there was never a body to be found. Now, verse 10, it says some things that are tough to understand. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Jesus Christ. It's not about obtaining salvation here, salvation is a gift. You can't earn it. But what he's talking about here is that the need to facilitate salvation. People, are, we obtain salvation for others by facilitating, by giving the salvation, by spreading God's word. Now listen, to, look at verses 11 through 12 real quick, quickly. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. We are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Verse 11, we, we, have died, to, we die to our own will and submit to God, the, God, the, God the Father's will. Just that Jesus submitted to God the Father's will. See, Jesus, remember in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's prayed, he prayed, if there's another way, please let it be so. But eventually Jesus said, your will be done. We endure, he will reign with him. We endure in our faith. Then we will enjoy his kingdom in eternity. And then, the, and then the last part is if we deny him, we also deny us. We are faithless, remains faithful. Now, this is kind of tough to interpret. In fact, there's several interpretations. One, if we turn away, 
If, if we turn away, then he won't turn away from us. Well, that's, that's kind of scary to think about. Like, okay, so I give my faith, I, I, I believe in you, and then walk away and do nothing else. People will say that's what it means. The problem with that is enduring, enduring in the faith is the evidence that that one is truly saved. So if someone quits the faith, then he only looked like he or she was saved and was not actually saved. Another, another interpretation is that sometimes if we mess up, we falter, he'll still remain faithful. One group sees this passage as a comforting passage. One sees it as a, a warning passage. And there's a third option. It's kind of a combo of them that I, I've read about. And it's a warning to those who persist in unfaithfulness. Now, we have to remember that Paul didn't write chapters and verses in the Bible. So imagine no, I mean, it would be hard to read for us, but imagine no verses, no chapters. It's all one letter. One section. In fact, the, the, these verses and chapters weren't put in until 1,100 years after the Bible was completed. God is faithful not just to extend blessings to those who do not. So what I'm saying is God is faithful not just to extend the blessing to those who are faithful. But he's also faithful in his warnings. That if you turn away from him and deny him, he'll deny you. So endure the faith. J.D. Greer, our president of FBC, uh, talked about this a few years ago. How we, there's, a, there's a saying that says, once saved, always saved. And he explained that that wasn't always what was said. There was another thing that was added on to that. And we have taken away, unfortunately. But it's once saved, always saved, believing forever or enduring forever. And that's a comfort for those who are in the faith, and then we mess up. You can always come to forgiveness. But if you walk away, just like the parable of the seeds, some, the third seed, got choked and caused by the worries of the world and basically turned away. But the last part of 13 is great, for he cannot deny himself. God cannot act contrary to his nature. He is faithful. He is the God of mercy and justice. See, he was preaching that from the beginning. Remember Adam and Eve? They sinned. He's, they deserved death. But what did he do? He sacrificed. Oh, there's a sacrifice where he sacrificed an animal to make clothing for them and take care of them as they are out, once they are out of the garden. He later made another sacrifice through his own son so we could be free from sin. He has never changed. He never will change. So, my friends, let us endure in the grace, my friends. One day our faith will be made sight. And we'll get to see all the ones who have been brought into eternity by us passing on the gospel. So let's endure in the grace of God so we can preserve and pass on the gospel.
We're going to pray. Now I give you an invitation. Or a time to pray wherever you are. You may be praying, hey, who do I need to pass on the gospel to? Who can I be mentoring? Who can I be mentored by? Or it could just be a time of repentance and realizing that you need Jesus Christ. So let us pray.